Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast for StudyMcKee.com. Thank you for joining us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm Sturdy McKee. My guest in this episode is David Nichols, CEO of Automation Resources Group. Automation Resources Group is a company that makes things that make things. I'll let David explain more about that later. David and I discuss his entrepreneurial journey, starting at age 25, including the need to figure things out, unemployability, and doing things beyond your qualifications. We also discuss the value of collaboration, as well as the iterations and evolution of a company as it matures. At Automation Resources Group, David and Carl, his business partner, have one of the most developed and coolest set of core values for any company that I know of, and I like to use them as an example in my coaching. David shares insights, stories, and the evolution of their core values and why they are important in the company. Finally, David shares his biggest lessons from the past 10 years of owning, running, and growing a company. I hope you enjoy this episode and find it useful in focusing forward on your business. So thank you for being here, David. I really, really appreciate it. Um, First off, I guess I'd just love to hear a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur. When did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur, and how did you get started? Sure. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting to think about it in those terms. I I don't know that I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, it might it felt more like I had a really hard time having other people tell me what to do, and so that is maybe more of an unemployability right. aspect than uh, something that was a positive decision uh, as far as entrepreneurship but um yeah very early on uh i was like let's let's find a way so that uh nobody can be the boss of me um which is hilarious um and also uh you know i've grown since since having that that value but um i got started pretty early i i graduated from university of illinois um about 2004 and then i worked for a company for a couple of years and you know it just sort of happened. That company went through a big transition. It was a fairly small company, maybe 15 or 20 people, and the owner of the business decided to sell it, his company, to this large nationwide company uh, that also happened to be sort of the enemy. Um, and when that happened, it, the enemy of our company sort of like they were held up as the way to not do things. Um, and when he sold the business to them, um, I said, uh, I don't know about this. Uh, I don't know about this new crew. I don't know if I feel great about going along with this. Um, and I had sort of made some relationships just in those couple of years that sort of allowed us to to start up the business. So a former coworker of mine, uh, Carl Robrock, who you may also know uh, in EO San Francisco, we we started up uh, at that time with you know some some suppliers and uh, some clients that we had sort of met you know, in in that time. So um, I was 25. I sometimes wonder what the people were thinking who supported us in the beginning, uh, but that's how it all happened. It happened very quickly um, in, in my career. So was that employability issue or unemployability issue, was that something you you came to, did you come to that conclusion or was that pointed out by someone else? Um, I it, this is the interesting thing, and I, I've, a topic is sort of I've sort of learned a lot about. Like I was told, um, maybe it might be true, but I was told when I was since I was very young, like I could figure anything out. That I was really smart. Um, maybe it was true, but also it was constantly repeated to me. 
Um, and so in my education, you know, I went to like school for the gifted elementary school and stuff like that. And so I kind of felt like I can figure anything out. Um, and so, you know, having people in positions of authority or people saying, you know, like I, I always kind of felt like, oh, I could do that job or whatever. And I had heard, you know, from, from my parents, things like that, where, you know, my, my dad would tell me stories about whenever he had a new job, he, he always felt like he could do the job of his boss and he was very successful with that attitude in, in his life. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it happened for me. Um, I've learned a lot about the limitations of that attitude uh, in the, in the intervening <laughs> 10 years. Um, <laughs> I was going to, uh, and, yeah. and maybe we could talk about that too, but um, it's, it's not, it's not true, but um, it can be helpful in certain contexts. Yeah. So, so has, that was kind of my next question. Has that played out that way? Have you been able to figure everything out or, or what have you done yeah, it, when you haven't? Well, um, I'm, it's been very useful. Like the way look, we can talk about the ways ways that it's been useful. Like um, in our company, we we have sort of a running joke that if we only did what we were qualified to do, where would we be? Um, so go ahead and <laughs> right. attempt it. Right? Like just do it. Just just if we only did stuff we were qualified for, we would be nowhere right now. So there's this notion of like you can figure it out. It's you know, get in, get into it, try it. If you fail, so what? Like, that's the kind of attitude. It's a very adventurous attitude to have, and it's very surprising what you can actually accomplish if you have that attitude. Uh, 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 the place where it can get you into trouble is, you know, I, I have strengths and weaknesses, and, and the things that I'm great at, I, I that attitude serves me very well where I have blind spots or there are, let's say, other people who are gifted in those ways, uh, it's very helpful to engage those people uh, for the things that you really shouldn't be figuring out or you really have no business doing. Um, I, and so it, it's been very helpful to attack any problem as if I can do it. Uh, I've also learned when to recognize sort of my limitations or where there are people who could be just – 10 times better than I am at that job or, or ever will be. So it sounds like you've taken that attitude from more of a kind of an individual focus to really spreading it around the team and using all the strengths of the different members of the team. Absolutely. That's really the balance between the idea of doing everything yourself versus collaborating. You know, we, we talk a lot about collaboration, um, and I, I've learned over the years that I shouldn't try to figure everything out myself, uh, I should, you know, th there's also a tremendous opportunity to involve other people who are, you know, really brilliant at, at what they do, whether that's, you know, our, our finance department or, or people that work in marketing, or, you know, things that are not my natural inclination as a really, really an engineer, which is, which is my background. Cool. Thank you for that. That's, that's really interesting. So, is Automation Resources Group your first business? Yes, it is. I, 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 I had jobs, but no, no businesses. As I said, I was, I was lucky to stumble into this opportunity very early in my career. So this is my first business, although I, I have to say it feels like it's been three or four different businesses over its lifetime. So maybe, maybe it's, it's in its fourth incarnation as my first business. Well, well, that leads to the next question. So what, it, what does Automated Resources Group do exactly? And maybe you could talk a little bit about 
the iterations evolution, uh, you know, kind of the, if you're saying this is the fourth kind of yeah. evolution of it, what, what does that, what did that look like? It started off, uh, there there's some really common threads and, you know, we've worked on them. I think when we talk about iteration, I feel like that's really sort of digging deeper and getting closer to like really what are we about, really what do we stand for. Um, when we started off, it was, I would say, a purely intuitive process of what we were doing. So it was do whatever we can think of, go work on the projects that, you know, were appealing to us or do, you know, just, just chase after clients and the kind of work that we wanted to do. So that might be a particular machine builder that we wanted to work with or, or a particular piece of technology that we were excited about and we would just sort of completely freestyle go out and follow our instinct about this. these are the kind of work we want to do, these are the kind of relationships that we want to have. And over time, we've – and that's been, that's been – was successful for us, right? I mean, initially my my success criteria was we're still a company, right? I would say – People would ask me like, "How's it going?" I'd say, "It's great. We're still a company," um, which was <laughs> well, like, sort like of that. my my bar for success. And then after a while, uh, you know, a few years go by, let's say, and the feeling sort of came about that we're going to continue to be a company. So, given that, what kind of choices do we want to make? What do we want to focus on? And and reflecting and being a little bit more deliberate about you know, really what do we do? Why do people hire us? What are we really excited about working on? And, and, and sort of trying to take that reflection and then use it to, yeah, determine where we want to go next, right? What, what are the things that, what are really our goals? Um, and, and that was something that we've done over a period of years and worked with people and, and sought out new experiences in, in places like EO or we worked with business coaches and, and things like that to really try to refine, you know, what are we, what are we doing here uh, and what do we want to do? Very cool. So where has that strategy led you to now? Can you talk a little bit about what, what the company does and what you guys do now? Sure, yeah. I mean, specifically what we do, I mean, the, the, the way that we sum it up is it's really our mission to inspire and enable innovators to make revolutionary machines. So we work in industrial automation, factory automation, anywhere the you know, factories are these big buildings where everything in the world comes from. And it's our business to work with the people that are working on those production processes or those machines primarily to make them faster, make them better, make them cheaper, uh, do whatever it takes to make a breakthrough, whether that's, you know, something that's might be a machine that's making airplane parts. It might be a machine that puts shampoo into bottles. It might be making computer chips or moving boxes around a fulfillment center or something like that. All all that kind of all that kind of activity that goes down in 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 factories. And so that's the kind of work that we do as engineers. Uh, business model wise, we sell hardware and we also provide engineering services. So. Thinking back to your your Simonson interview about the types of entrepreneurs, I I, I felt an overlap with a couple different types uh, just within our company, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, we're a team of about ten people, and we're based here in in Portland. Yeah, that that was mentioned by another friend of mine too. That she said that uh, she felt like she had feet in a couple of those different 
areas, and I think we probably all do, and it's necessary for success. But mm-hmm. you know, thinking about where your where your strengths really are, that that was kind of fascinating to me. To like where, and and also the question of like where where am I living right now versus where do I get the most joy and inspiration and and mm-hmm. stuff, and and is that aligned as well? So that's right, and we have, and we have the stuff that we're really passionate about, and you know, with, with, across our team, the things that we're really good at, you know, mm-hmm. exactly how, the business model behind that. I think I, I try to think of anyway as something that's a bit more flexible. Like, how do we capture what's really awesome about this team? Like, what's the best way to build a business around? this you know amazing group of talented engineers and that can take different forms and if you think about it in those terms sometimes different opportunities can come up other than we sell widgets or we bill for hours right right so um i also love your core values and the and the fact that you place them and display them prominently on your website and also with the declaration that you take them very seriously can you speak a little bit about how you use them and what they've done for your company? Yes. Uh, this is something I mentioned earlier about sort of at first we start off as this very intuitive intuitive process of what we do and what we stand for. And maybe five years into the company, we started working with uh, a business coach who I worked in a similar business and also introduced me to EO. His name is Rich Manders, great guy. And he took us through this exercise of let's put down on paper what's really special about our company, what's really unique about what we do and who we are. And it was this, you know, it's a really interesting exercise. You, know, you can imagine a whole wall of sticky notes of these things that are here's what we think is really cool about what we do and who we are as a company. And then we sort of distilled those into some groups and some themes and then came up with this list of these are our core values. And they cover things like creativity and collaboration that are have to do with this is what's really special. This is what we feel like is really unique about our business. And the the great thing about that is it's you know these are these this is us. This is who we are. Other companies have other values, and that's great for them. But for us, it's really a reminder of this is what we're about. This is what we're looking for. And I think when you hold that up and say. This is really, if this sounds great to you if, as a client or as a potential employee, if this really sounds awesome, we should work together, right? And it's it's also a reminder to us and our team to live up to those values. You know, when it was initially explained to me, the idea of a core value is really something you'd be willing to take a financial hit to live up to. So if you say you care about uh, minimum viable bureaucracy, which is one of our core values, to are, are you willing to actually live up to that um, if it's going to cost you money uh, as a test, right? It just it doesn't always come up like that, but it, it can really help when you're saying, you know, and you know, another one of ours is engineer your lifestyle, right? Like your life is what you live every day. That kind of attitude could have financial implications to our company. Um, that we live up to that, even at the expense of, you know maybe like let's say billing more hours or burning people out or something like we will not do that right and and that's that's something that um, is really powerful for us and and sort of putting that list in front of us and we have a lot of exercise in fact every review that we do every manager to report review includes a section on their job scorecard of 
how are we doing on these core values? How's the company doing and how are you doing on these things? And we make adjustments or, you know, we really recognize people that are doing well on that uh, as, as much as possible. So it's, um, these are really our mantras and, and what we use to guide all of our actions. It also really helps when making investment decisions or decisions about hiring. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in an idea or something you get excited about, and then you hold up this list of core values next to it and say, how does this match up with who we are? Or sometimes, you know, quote, unquote, difficult decisions, when you hold up the core value next to that decision, uh, it, can be, it can become very clear. Uh, it can be very clarifying what, you know, it becomes obvious what you should do a lot of times, in my experience. So they can also serve as a great reminder for you as you're thinking yeah, about great these filter. decisions or hiring or who you're working with. Or, mm -hmm. That's great. great. And I'll encourage, I'm not going to say what all of them are or list them in any of the write-ups, but I would encourage uh, anyone who listens to this to jump over to automationresourcesgroup.com and look at their core values about the About Us page. Um, there's one there in particular that we won't say here, but <laughs> I found it very it's a family-friendly podcast. It's been hotly yeah, debated we're trying. Whether, we're trying. which words we should use. But, yes. I, it I, I love it. It's a declaration. Words. It's about respect. Yeah. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it speaks to me. I, I would, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if I were looking, you know, if I was in the industry and looking at it, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, this is, this is a company that it resonates and uh, makes sense for me. It's, yeah, I think we should talk about it a second because the, 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 the family-friendly version would be no jerks. No jerks. Um, and, <laughs> Very good. And uh, the language is a little saltier on our website. Um, just really intentionally to be provocative, um, but really it is about respect for us. Um, not every company has the value that you can't be a jerk, either in the company or as a client or in, in really any aspect. And some companies have more of a, let's I guess I don't want to I don't want to single anybody out, but it's okay to you know or you'll do anything for the for for a client or you'll do anything to maintain a relationship regardless of how abusive they might behave either internally or 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 with your clients and that's not the way we operate. If if there if there's a situation and inevitably there are those kind of situations that come up, um, it's really important to us that they get aligned and and this core value of sort of no jerks reminds us that. Uh, if that comes up, it, it can't be tolerated. It's got to be resolved somehow. Um, sometimes that means repairing a relationship or finding a way to make that a productive and respectful relationship, or sometimes it means you know, parting with people, whether that be employees or, or clients, that, that you know you can't find a way to work it out. Well, and I, I love what you're saying here, too, because, and I've, you know, discovered this in my companies as well as we work, I work with clients with these kinds of things as well. And these core values are, and what you're saying is they're real. They're tangible. They're things mm -hmm. that you use. They, they are your rules. They're not aspirational. They're not something you hope to achieve someday. These are, mm -hmm. you know, the rules you live by. And that's, I can right. you for that. And we've found, I talk about this transition from it being sort of an intuitive process and, and really the, the mission or the, the task is to was to extract those Right. What are the words? You know, this is already the way that we are. This is what we built as a company. This sort of it's in the it's in the water. It's, you know, this is this is how we operate. 
but but being able to to extract that out and put a label on it is a way to encourage it and and make it thrive right and and that was something we were proud of what we had done we we knew that we were, you know we felt like we were an awesome company um but it really helped us to reinforce it when we put those specific labels on it and i think the labels we we went through a revision of this as well maybe a year ago and where we where they just we worked with the company here in portland uh marketing company called conveyor and they they helped us really make those even more vivid than they were previously. Whereas before, we might say, you know, creativity, and you know, our our next revision of that would say things something like revolutionary improvement. Um, and that that really helped make it more vivid um, and, and just more powerful. And and it's been it's been awesome as sort of the the north star for for our company to have those that set of values. No, very cool. Thanks for sharing that too. Um, so you moved to Portland not too 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 long ago what went into that decision mm-hmm. and was that tough for you yes and yes and no so we we founded the company in 2007 in the bay area primarily so my, myself and my business partner both lived in the bay area i i lived in san francisco for 10 years um and we we obviously saw a lot happen uh, in the Bay Area in in that time, um, and also a lot happened to us just as individuals. Um, love the Bay Area, love a, love so many things about it, and still miss so many aspects of it. Um, you, know, we, you know, throughout the whole company's whole history, we also worked with clients in Seattle or Washington Washington area, and also Portland. And so we would spend a lot of time up in the Northwest, you know, visiting, developing business, and and so we had always kind of had we had we had remote employees, for example, up up here in the Northwest as well. So we've always kind of spanned that geography, and really, you know, over the years, with what was going on in San Francisco, some of the frustrations around, you know, that I guess to, to put it charitably, like the the growth pressures and the just sort of what's happening in San Francisco, it's just there are there are more hospitable places for our kind of business to be. Um, we're an independent business, fully bootstrapped. You know, we we found fund all our investment from our own income, and we're not so we're not a part of like a VC world where I feel like if you're doing that, you need to do it in San Francisco. So we have a lot of flexibility, and you know, for quality of life reasons. I mean, back to the list of core values, right? Engineer your lifestyle is one of the one of our very important core values, which is, you know, make sure that your life as you live it every day is working for you. Uh, and so there are a few things that triggered it. I mean, I was getting ready to start a family and I was living in a rent-controlled one-bedroom apartment in San Francisco and started looking around and saying, I might not have to move now or a year from now or two years from now, but I can't stay here forever. And if I move, I'm where am I going to move? Um, you know, started looking around that that was not looking good. Um, and another thing that happened was, or put another way, it put a lot of pressure on me and all. And also, even if I can afford it as the head of a company, you know, what does it mean for every one of our employees? What does it mean for everybody who works for me? You know, in terms of quality of life, cost of living, commute times, like it's just ugly, right? Um, and another kind of reminder, or maybe like a trigger point for us was we were in a really cool office in uh, downtown San Francisco, um, 44 Montgomery, big tower at Montgomery and Market. If, if you're 
are used to walking around there. Uh, and we were there on a three-year lease, and as usually happens, it came up, oh, oh, it's already been three years. We need to, what are we going to do now? Um, so we looked, we asked the, the building management, is it okay if we extend our lease? And they're like, oh, sure, no problem. Right, uh, but that'll at what be rate? at the market rate. <laughs> that'll be at the market rate uh, that is 50% higher than what you are than what we were paying it, just within a three-year lease. Right, the the rent had gone up by 50% in three years. That's all. And that, well, it was already high. <laughs> right, it was already high. Uh, I tell, and so it's it's touchy, especially. I'm, I'm very careful what I the, the way that I talk about it, especially around Portland of. Uh, when they talk about uh, sky-high office rates, I just kind of stay quiet. Um, but, yeah, I think at the time it was $60 per square foot. So, yeah. anyway, if you know those, if you know numbers, those are high numbers for office space. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we've so certainly, we, I, I, I've dealt with that <laughs> here as well. Yeah, I'm sure you have. As if you're a business now. owner in the yeah. Bay Area, you're familiar with these dynamics. and. And anyway, th that's all about the Bay Area. I mean, Portland has a lot going for it as well. Like, um, it's a it's a great compact city. Uh, you know, we love I love living in San, living in San Francisco. I ride my bike to work every day. You know, culturally and food, and there's just amazing. There's so many great things about about what it's like to live in Portland. And you know, again, go back to the core values of what we want to be working on, the kind of things we want to do. I mean, we're about to to launch our new like workshop and office space you know we were able to secure this a 3000 foot workshop with we're going to have places to work on our robots and and all those kind of things all under one roof in this like really cool 100 year old industrial building that's just been renovated and is you know 2 miles from downtown and you know that was really it's really been a dream for us to do something like that and and that was something that was really made possible i'd say by by us being here in portland and you know the, the the community in portland has been really welcoming in fact i was literally confused when i moved to portland when people would talk to me because they were being friendly <laughs> i was i wouldn't i didn't recognize <laughs> what was happening you mean just strangers like, people at the store yeah just yeah. strangers like the person behind the rental car counter would be like so what's going on with you and i'd be like what is this person's deal and then I came to recognize that it was friendliness that I was experiencing, and so, so I, not I, intrusiveness. I, no, it was. I was confused, but I. I, I oh yeah, I, I totally. Yeah, I totally hear you. I mean, when I'm traveling, it, it's similar to. I think the city's changed over a long time, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I can relate. Um, mm -hmm. So, so what are your biggest lessons on your journey thus far as an entrepreneur or a business owner? And, and growing your business and doing, you know, relocating, you know, all the things that you've experienced over the past decade or so. Um, mm -hmm. What are your biggest lessons that you think might help other entrepreneurs? Right. I mean, um, what I'm thinking about lately a lot, I, I mentioned this, this concept of, you know, being brainwashed that I can figure anything out. Uh, and it, I really discovered the limitations of that over the past 10 years of where it really works well and where it doesn't. I think uh, the other implicit bias, coming out of engineering, I went to engineering school, and 
when you go to engineering school, they have so much engineering to teach you that they they don't teach you about other things. In fact, you don't realize that other other functions are just as big and important as engineering in, in the business world, right? Things like finance, things like marketing, things like name any other important part of what it means to run a business or leadership for that matter, right? None of those things. So it wasn't that I was biased against them. I had no awareness that those were really, like how deep you can go in those skills. And and so I, as, a, as an engineer, they also teach you you can figure anything out. So as I would sort of bump into these different areas, it, it, it would take me a little too long to figure out this is not, I'm not suited to this task. I'm not suited to be running QuickBooks. I'm not suited to be setting up a marketing program. I need to work with people and I, you know, find people who I can collaborate with that, that they're going to be great at that. And so I wish I had figured that out sooner. Uh, I, I wish I had recognized that sooner. And I, I feel like I've gotten a lot better about it, but I, I still have more to learn um, because it's that double-edged sword of jumping in and figuring it out versus you know, hiring a professional, let's say. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that I've come to realize or that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Another big lesson is just the idea of um, finding your peers and finding people whose experience you can learn from. Uh, there's there can be an aspect within a business as an entrepreneur of sort of a feeling of loneliness or responsibility because you're in charge, you you might have started it, it's your baby, et cetera. There's, there are other people who are in that same situation who you can share with and learn from. So that, you know, again, you know, put in a big, big, huge plug for EO here. I've learned a lot from from other entrepreneurs who have tried things and frankly been inspired by other by what other people are doing with their businesses and and sort of either outright stolen that you know <laughs> things that they've done that have worked well or, or learned from their mistakes maybe um, and and shared some of my own so I, I think finding your peer group and and where you can learn from is uh, incredibly valuable something something that I would encourage any anybody uh, who has a business to pursue that, and really any anybody in general to to pursue that. Right. No, that's that's cool. And I think the in the first instance where you're talking about, you know, being trained and taught and reinforced that you can figure everything out, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to figure everything out. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if there are other people who can do it quicker and better, and you know, often cheaper, and you don't have to go through that learning curve, that that's already their specialty, let them do it. And I, and I totally agree with you. That's the reason I joined EO as well, having that peer group of people who had similar experiences that, you know, the rest of yeah. my network anyway prior to joining didn't didn't have. They didn't understand mm -hmm. some of the, mm -hmm. the challenges that we're going through. Right. And, and we, there's a great, uh, you know, my, my business partner t tells a great story about that, of what it was like when I joined EO and was getting lit up by all these different ideas and, and inspired and, and hearing about all these things. And, you know, he, he tells a story of it being obvious to him that I, you know, I was learning things and, and bringing things into the company from, from elsewhere. Where is that coming from? What is, because, and, and he, he responded to that and, and wanted, 
wanted to have that kind of experience himself and you know has also been an EO member ever since then. So that that, that it was that obvious, you know, even within our own company, um, the kind of impact that something like that had. Yeah, I remember that Carl joined later than you, and uh, mm. <laughs> that's that's cool to hear that that experience though and the exposure that he got and and the reasons mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. wanting to jump in. Well, that's cool. So what were your biggest surprises along the way about how you got to where you are today? I mentioned just how much there is to know about all, all the other aspects of a business. One that I hadn't really talked about so far was, uh, in, in terms of other skills, is the idea of leadership as a skill. I, I as an engineer and, you know, being into physics and mechanics and these kind of very nuts and bolts analytical type things, I always looked at it looked at it as kind of I don't know what the family friendly term, but I always thought of it as kind of a BS topic, um, and it can be. But uh, I've learned a lot about the the idea of of leadership uh, since I since I've been running this business. And I've learned about it from places like EO and working with people who have been mentors to me about here's here's the right way to run a company. Here, here are the kind of really practical exercises to get everybody on the same page about what are we doing here? How does this work? You know, what is our mission? You know, like basic kind of things. And in terms of, in terms of leadership, I mean, and, you know, I'm not, it's a lifelong thing to learn about. So I still consider myself a complete rookie or amateur, but I've recognized that working on a leadership as a skill is, is something that, that can be taught or learned about um, because I think in our culture and it's just seen as something that happens naturally or something that people have or don't have uh, sort of by magic, uh, but you can get better at it. You can work on it. And I think that's something that was actually surprising to me that, you know, whatever leadership skills you have <coughs> are not, those aren't, inherent necessarily or they aren't fixed you, you can you can get better at that and uh, there's you know plenty you know plenty of different ways to go about that uh, you don't have to do it the way I did but it is a skill that you can improve like any other skill yeah I think we you're, you're right in the culture we tend to look at it as something intangible something that um, happened magically or that somebody possesses or doesn't um, it, you know make it very black and white and they're mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more that there are skills, there are tools, there are frameworks to work on yeah. developing your skills. Models. And, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there's feedback and, you know, coaching, assistance, all kinds of resources mm -hmm. to help you develop those. Yeah, not, uh, I, I love that point. That's great. Um, and at first, so, some of those tools yeah, when, that we were working with, at first when we were doing them, it would it would look like this is a worksheet that's your one-page business plan. And I remember distinctly filling it out sort of without any connection really to what I was doing or writing. But over time and after working on that, like that, that model and that framework of, of how to run a company and, and how to set goals like really became real to me and also I think within our company. Uh, just, but it took it took some practice to to really learn the scale of how to operate the company that way. Uh, and so, anyway, that's just a concrete example of 
of, of something that I, I can relate to as, as working on leadership or working on running the company as a skill. Very cool, thanks. Um, so Automation Resources Group, I notice, uses the slogan of better machines for a better world. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, there's a lot in the media these days about technological unemployment and how robots are going to take over and it's going to be a dystopia because uh, they've taken all the jobs and there's nothing left for us to do, et cetera, the AI, AI apocalypse. But I think if you look at history, not only have people been saying that for a couple hundred years now, if you look at some of the specifics about quality of life and experience as a human being in the world, a tremendous amount of that has been enabled by machines, and we work on machines. We work on things that generate electrical power or, I don't know, pick your example, put beer in a bottle, or if you love your iPhone, then it was made by probably a thousand different machines. And so we really try to think about our job in terms of all of these things are things that should be improving or have the potential to improve people's quality of life uh, and, and their experience in the world. I mean, even, even things like agriculture, you can look in any direction. Um, you know, there's not to say there aren't issues with manufacturing and the, you know, industrialization and there's plenty of side effects and problems that we could talk about. But like overall, I feel like that's greatly improved people's quality of life. And, and I don't know that people really appreciate that or, or really understand the role that automation and, and production has, has had in, in really improving people's quality of life. So we speak about it in that way because, you know, for, for another reason as well, which is we don't, we're not interested in working on things that are going to make more, you know, cheap junk to fill up a Walmart shelf or landfill. Uh, we really want to work on things that are going to improve people's lives or improve the quality of life. And so projects that are that are working in those areas are ones that are really appealing to us uh, and, and ones that we try to pursue uh, really out, outright if possible. Well, so that kind of brings us to the next question is what, what impact are you hoping to make on society or in people's lives? Right. I, I, I hope and, and, you know, there's, there's certainly a, a tinkerer's aspect of me where I, and then sort of pure engineer where I, I just want to work on cool mousetraps in my garage. And there's an aspect of that to our job. But I think there's, that's, that's not as impactful as, you know, what can we, you know, those same skills and creativity and, you know, ambition applied at a larger scale. How, how can, how can we find ways to make, you know, our ability as engineers have, have an impact in the world if that's making, uh, you know, changing the way that agriculture is done or changing the way that, you know, we, we, we buy things or fill things or, or, or get things. Th those are all uh, ways to improve people's lives that we think technology and machinery and automation can, can have a role in, in helping with or, or certainly bringing to other people. Um, there's a whole world of people beyond even just in the United States or, or in the developed world who I think could stand to benefit from, from that kind of technology as well. How can we bring 
how can we bring that that um, that technology to them to improve their lives? And that, you know, as much as possible, we we try to direct our our creativity and our energy and our business to in in that direction. Well, that's really cool. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you very, very much for talking with me today, David. I, I really, really appreciate it. This is very insightful. Um, appreciate you, and appreciate your your willingness to share with us. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Sergey. It's been fun. Absolutely, yeah, it has. I really, again, appreciate that. Thank you for listening.